to you in the name of one God who is our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Amen. Now we can move on to the next part of the hymn. There is nothing that I could say, no examples that I could give that could enhance those words. That is the gospel. That is the truth. And that is our faith. I would like to spend a few minutes, though, talking about the context in which this passage is presented and uh, give you some of my thoughts on what Jesus was saying and what I believe that he was asking of Nicodemus. If you're even slightly familiar with the Bible, you've heard these words. The verse shows up on cards, signs, posters, billboards, even under the eyes of football players. John 3.16. It is a 26-word parade of hope beginning with God, ending with life, and urging us to do the same, writes Max Lucado. He continues, it is brief enough to write on a napkin or memorize in a moment, yet solid enough to withstand 2,000 years of storms and questions. If you know nothing of the Bible, start here. If you know everything in the Bible, return here. John 3.16 is a message of hope, faith, and love. And it all begins with God and ends with eternal life. Reformer Martin Luther referred to it as the heart of the Bible, the gospel in miniature. Yet I wonder how many of us really know how these words came to be in scripture. Was Jesus loudly proclaiming his truth from a mountaintop? Surely he must be amongst a throng of thousands. Not exactly. This exchange occurs unassumingly in the quiet of night with a Pharisee called Nicodemus. In this brief encounter, Jesus gives us all we need to know. He tells us how to get to heaven what has God has already done to make it possible, and how we must respond to his incredible gift of grace. Now, everything we know about this Pharisee Nicodemus comes from the Gospel of John. He is mentioned in it three different contexts, the first being our reading from today. The second appears in chapter 7, where we read of him publicly defending Jesus when the Pharisees question whether or not they should arrest him. And the third appearance of Nicodemus is at the tomb of Jesus, where he has brought myrrh and spices to anoint the body of our Savior. Nicodemus had influence. He was called the ruler of the Jews, which probably meant he was a member of the Sanhedrin, or the highest council of Jewish people. 
we know historically and politically that the Romans were in charge, but in a spiritual sense, the Sanhedrin had jurisdiction over every Jew in the world. So it was quite an honor to be in the Sanhedrin. But a powerful life, an honored life, does not necessarily mean a purposeful life. Nicodemus had education. A prerequisite for membership in the Sanhedrin was thorough academic training by the finest rabbis in the land. But a sea of diplomas does not guarantee a sense of direction. Nicodemus had money. Later in John 19, when we read about him bringing the myrrh to Jesus' body, we read that he brought 75 pounds of expensive spices that common people could not afford. In fact, the amount was so much that it was usually reserved for kings. Nicodemus had a lot of money, but you can have a lot of money and not have a lot of meaning in life. Our society tells us that if you get more of all these things, life will be great. We know that to be different. And so the question is this, why is this man who has everything coming at night to see a man who has nothing? And the answer is all of those things that Nicodemus had, his wealth, his power, his education, were external. And they have nothing to do with really being alive. Nicodemus was missing something. He did not have life. He needed to be born again and have true life. But Nicodemus, at the very least, was different than most Pharisees when it came to Jesus because he acknowledged his authority and divine wisdom from the start. He may not have been an outright believer or follower of Jesus, but he could not argue against the miracles that he has seen and what he has heard. Nicodemus felt a stirring in his heart to find out more, to learn what he might be missing. Upon meeting Jesus, and maybe somewhat surprising for a Pharisee, Nicodemus begins the conversation not with an accusation, not with a question, but with an affirmation of Jesus' ministry, saying, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things and signs that you do unless God is with him. But Jesus isn't looking for compliments. He's not looking for affirmation. He's not even looking for respect here. He has a clear message to give. And he tells Nicodemus how to get heaven. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. God has to do a work in our souls before we can even begin to perceive the kingdom of God. Another way to consider this idea of being born from above is by using the expression born again. I don't know about you, but when I hear that phrase, born again, a number of different images and illustrations come to mind. In more evangelical traditions, one might be born again or saved 
through an outward act of acceptance, a tangible core memory of the moment you gave your life to Christ. Others believe that we are born again by the single act of Jesus' redemption on the cross or through the sacrament of baptism. All of these things are correct. Yet, I want, you to challenge, I want to challenge you today to think of being born again not just by a tangible act to be bestowed upon at a particular time or place. I believe we are truly born again when we accept an inward understanding of the gospel. When we are born again, we experience a heart change, a renewal of the soul. Jesus' response probably came as a shock to Nicodemus, for religious Jews thought that because they were children of Abraham and kept the law, all would enter the kingdom of God. They were dressed up on the outside, but empty on the inside. It's hard for a man or for a woman who has always looked at life from an outward point of view to get his or her mind around such talk as this. Such talk is the need for a spiritual rebirth. So Nicodemus responded to Jesus in the same way most of us hearing such a statement for the first time would as well. He thinks only in literal, natural terms, wondering how can this be so? But Jesus was concerned with Nicodemus' soul. No, Nicodemus, your religious beliefs are not enough. In spite of the fact that you've been at the top of your religion, it means nothing. It hasn't brought you any closer to heaven. This way of thinking implies our salvation is up to us, and it discounts the power of God's grace in our lives. This is why the Pharisees often struggled to understand or accept the message and the ministry of Jesus. They were too entrenched in their ways, and relying on their political power and influence to accept any kind of transformation or physical surrender. To experience salvation and truly see the kingdom of God at work in one's life, Jesus taught that we must cast aside the old, sinful life to become new creations, transformed, renewed, and reformed by God's grace not by personal works. In some ways, Nicodemus represents a lot of us. We can have so much going for us. We may be accomplished. We may be wealthy. We may be smart. We might even think we do a good job of sacrificing for the good of mankind. And we can see ourselves as continually developing our minds and expanding our influence But the impact of Jesus' words in John 3.16 tells us different. It shows Nicodemus and us that he had come as far as he could in his own efforts. Nicodemus simply could not make himself whole. His achievements paled in comparison to what God ultimately wanted from him. Jesus invites Nicodemus and us to take a risk and shows him how to respond to this gift of grace. 
He says that whoever believes in him would have the kind of life that Nicodemus was looking for and have it forever. Under the cover of darkness, Nicodemus had come to see this prophet looking for answers. And what does he get? Jesus says, I am the answer. Believe in me. Jesus was laying out the heart of the gospel of the kingdom. Your options are to continue as you always have with the admiration and adulation of earthly things, or you could humble yourself and get what you truly desire, transformed life by grace through faith. Without an interchange, our lives will most likely remain the same. Change needs to come from the inside, and we are not sufficient to bring this change, this rebirth, all by ourselves. It is not our work, ever. It is God's work, accomplished through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Nicodemus discovered something about the mysteries of God and meaning of salvation with Jesus that night. He discovered that salvation is possible because there is a change, and change is possible because of faith. And it is through our faith that we are able to receive God's grace in our own lives. Please pray with me. Loving Father, thank you that we have been given the gift of eternal life simply because we trust in Jesus. Thank you that our spiritual birth and our spiritual growth do not depend on our abilities, but are free gifts of grace given to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.